word for today. We're going to be in John chapter 6. I would encourage you to open up a Bible, turn on a Bible, we got a Bible app, whatever it may be, but we're in John chapter 6. And if you're visiting with us, whether here or online, we are working through the book of John uh, for chapter by chapter, and uh, now we are starting John chapter 6. And hey, just FYI, for those of you uh, watching online, if you want to give to Hope and Herald and you want to give um, online, there is a memo uh, portion there. You can write in there, Hope and Herald um, special offering, and then Christy can take care of that. So if you want to do that, those of you online, you can do that. All right, but we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I hate going through difficult times in life. I, I, I don't enjoy when uh, fiery trials come into our family. I, I don't relish the idea that um, hard times hit like a punch in the face. Um, I don't like it and don't enjoy it when facing overwhelming odds. Anybody other than me, like, you're in that boat? You, you, you don't like it? I don't think of any, I can't really picture anybody. Nope, Jim, I love difficult times. I, I mean, I get really fired up when the fire's coming down on me. Never met anybody like that. Everybody does not like trials and storms and suffering and pain. But the reality is it comes. Suffering and pain and hurt is a part of this life. And no one is exempt from it. And the truth is, sometime in your life, you will be faced with overwhelming odds. There will be things in your life that you will look at and you will just go, this is too overwhelming. So the question that we're going to look at today is not, will they come into your life? Because they will. The question I want to look at today is, what do you do? When you are faced with overwhelming odds. Well, that's what we're going to look at from John chapter 6 today. With Jesus feeding the 5,000 or more people. And I want to look at what do you and I do when faced with overwhelming odds. So we're going to look at six things today. Here's the first thing. I would encourage you to take notes. Whether it's the, the outline in your bulletin or if you got a notebook. Um, but here's the first thing. Write this down. When facing overwhelming odds, know that there is a tension between my faith and Jesus' sovereignty. You need to know that there is a tension between your faith and Jesus' sovereignty. There is a tension between you exercising your faith and Jesus' sovereignty. And that's what we're going to see in these first few verses. So if you would, look with me at John chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, after this, after this, more than likely between John chapter 5, which we just finished up about Jesus healing the paralyzed guy who had been paralyzed um, for 38 years, probably between that time and this time, several months have already passed, okay? And the reason why we know is because we're going to look at a verse that says that the, the um, um, Passover was coming up. So um, probably several months have passed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. And it says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also the Sea of Tiberias. I have a map here to give us an idea of what that means. So this is Israel right here. 
And Jesus would usually travel between Judea and Galilee, all right, that, those, that, that section of land. And he would usually, he healed the man in Jerusalem after 38 years. But now it says that he is up in Galilee near the Sea of Galilee. And when it says that he crossed over to the other side, more than likely he was on the west side where Nazareth and Canaan was, and he went over to the other side. And so he's probably on the east side of Galilee. Now, from Judea, where Jerusalem is, up to that is about 70 miles, 70 to 80 miles. So that's Jesus' journey a lot, back and forth, back and forth. Imagine, you know, you and I, some of you probably, you know, in your car, you have a driving distance of 40, 50 miles. And man, how many of you get tired of driving 40, 50 miles to work back and forth every day? Imagine Jesus. Here we go again. We got to go back down to Jerusalem, hike it down. Oh, we're going back up to Galilee, hike it back up. That was, his, that was his, his, his life, back and forth between Galilee and Judea. So here he is up by the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 2, it says this, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus, remember, as we have gone through John chapter 5, the very first um, miracle that Jesus did was he turned water into wine at the, late, at the wedding of Cana. And then when, and when he was in Jerusalem during the Passover, we remember that, that people were starting to believe in Jesus because he was doing miraculous signs. Now, we don't know what. It doesn't say. It just says he was doing miracles. He was doing amazing things. Here, it says that he was doing signs to the sick. Well, we just read in John chapter 5 that he healed a guy. After 38 years of being paralyzed, the guy got up and walked. So Jesus was doing this kind of stuff with sick people, probably giving sight to the blind. He, you know, people who were paralyzed getting up and walking. He was doing things that people were taking notice of. I don't know about you, but I think if somebody were to come up and I saw someone who had been paralyzed for 38 years and some dude says, hey, get up and walk, and he walked, I would take notice of that. Jesus is getting people's attention. And it says this large crowd was following him. And so they're following Jesus. Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain. Now, it says the mountain, but probably this is more of a mountainous range around the Sea of Galilee. And he goes up to one particular higher range. He says he sat down with his disciples, the 12. Okay, He sits down with them. He's now teaching these guys. All right, He's trying to have a teachable moment with his 12 guys. And, and the thing is, in the background, there's a crowd coming. I actually told Paula when I read this, and I, I, I read this crowd coming to Jesus, I actually thought of the Walking Dead show, you know, kind of like a, a horde of Walking Dead coming towards you. And, and, and he's got this crowd. And so he's up on the mountain trying to teach his, his, his disciples and then in verse 4, it says the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. But in verse 5, and here's what it says. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that large crowd was coming toward him. The horde coming toward him. Now we know that in verse 10, it, it tells us that there were 5,000 men. In Matthew 14, it says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So more than likely, the crowd was probably ballparked 15,000 people, okay? Now, these 15,000 people were coming to Jesus because they were needy. They were sick people, all right? Because they were seeing the miraculous signs he was doing for the sick people. 
So they were probably bringing their sick people with them. Paralyzed people, blind people, mute people, you know, people with disease and whatever. They were like, man, follow that guy because he's healing people. And so here's Jesus up on this mountain, sitting with his 12 disciples, teaching them, and he looks up, and he sees the crowd coming toward him. Now, I read that, and I'm like, man, that's like life sometimes. You're just doing your thing, and all of a sudden you look up, and there is a major problem coming toward you. Just the storm, man, it is, you, you see it coming. You look up and you see the overwhelming. How many of you would think there's Jesus and 12 disciples and about 15,000 people coming? Overwhelming odds? I'm thinking so. And so I'm, I look at life and there are times where you're just doing life. You're just doing your thing. You're just going through life and you look up and you are now faced with overwhelming odds. It is just coming towards you. It is the overwhelming odd of the finances. Anybody feel like you're in a, that position now? Overwhelming odds of finances? You look up and you see the overwhelming odds of a health issue. You look up and you see the overwhelming odds of a marital crisis. You look up and you see the overwhelming odds of a job situation. You look up and you see the overwhelming odds of a child an adult child leaving and walking away from Christ. You look up and you, you, you see the overwhelming odds of loved ones not wanting, to, not wanting to come to know Christ. And so many other things. You look up and you see it coming towards you. And you're like, I'm about to get overwhelmed. And it hits. Now look at verse 5 though. So this crowd is coming toward Jesus. But look what he does. Jesus says to Philip, Philip, one of the 12, he turns to Philip and he asks Philip a question. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus isn't like, guys, pack up, we got to go. These people are about to overwhelm us. Hey, guys, I don't, we, we need to get out of here. Guys, no, he looks to Philip, one of the 12, and he's like, dude, where are we buying the food at? Now look at verse 6. He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. He says to Philip, where are we going to buy this food, Philip? Only for one reason, to test him. But test him how? I mean, is Jesus like, oh, Philip, I think you're from this region. Hey, do you know the, the, any good bakeries around here? Is he testing him to his knowledge of businesses? Is he testing him for his accounting skills because there's a large crowd? Hey, you need to figure out how much food we need. Is he testing to, to see how good of his leadership and crowd control is? No, none of that. He's testing him only one thing. What do you think it was? His faith. When he asked Philip, hey, Philip, how much food is it going to take? And where do we get it? He was looking for an answer of faith. But notice it also says in verse 6 that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So you have testing the faith of Philip, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Do you see the tension? Because here's the quandary so many people get in when it comes to the sovereignty of God and our faith. The quandary is this. The question that people ask is this, and maybe you've asked this question. If God is sovereign, 
If Jesus is sovereign and they're going to do whatever they want to do, if God is going to do what he wants to do, if he's already chosen and decided what he's going to do, why do I need to exercise faith? Why do I need to pray? Because if God's going to do it, isn't he already going to do it? Why do I need to have any faith? You see, this is why it's so important to understand that there is a tension between your faith and God's sovereignty. There is a tension that, that despite the sovereignty of God, you still exercise faith. You see, here's, here's, here's what, how you need to see this. There are some people who look at biblical faith, who, who look at faith in the Bible, and say that faith is simply, it, it's, it, it's an act that you and I do when we want something from God. So whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever your desire is, this is what I want, so I'm going to pray for it, I'm going to ask for it. And the more I pray, the more I ask, by faith, God will give it to me. It's almost like faith binds God to give us what we want. If you want that promotion, you just start praying for it. You ask for it. You believe for it. And God has to give it to you because you're exercising faith. If you need healing in your body, you just say, God, this is, my, this is what I need. I need healing. So by faith, I believe I have it. And what that does is says, faith says, God, you have to give it to me. You see, that kind of faith says, I get what I want, and it excludes sovereignty. Well, here's the problem with that. If I teach you, hey, whatever you want, if you just exercise enough faith, if you believe enough, God has to give it to you. Well, the problem is, is what happens when you don't get what you're praying for? What happens if you pray for healing and it doesn't come? What happens if you pray for the promotion and you don't get it? Well, here's the backup plan for people who teach this. You didn't exercise enough faith. How hard is that to hear? I mean, I thought I, I thought I threw all my faith out the window to God, God, and I didn't have anything left. Now you're telling me I didn't exercise enough? How much faith is enough? How do you know if you've exercised enough faith? You see, faith does not negate sovereignty. Yes, Jesus is looking to Philip, and he wants to know how much faith he has, but Jesus already had a plan. Faith does not negate sovereignty, but sovereignty does not also negate faith. There's a tension between both of them. You see, when here's, here's, here's what biblical faith is. When Jesus asks Philip, where do we get enough bread for this, this crowd? Can I tell you he was not looking for this answer? Oh, Jesus, no problem. I got a buddy of mine, Joe. He, he's got a bakery down on Fifth and Grand. And I'm telling you, I, I, I'll go to him, talk to him, and he can feed these people. How many of you know that was not what Jesus was looking for? Here's what Jesus was looking for. I don't know, but I trust you. You see, biblical faith, what I believe what the Bible teaches about faith is not me demanding of God. It is not me saying, God, by, because I'm exercising faith, God, you've got to give me this. It is not me just doing something then expecting God to bless me as I go. No, no, no. Biblical faith is this. When something comes into my life and I can't explain it, when I don't know the answer, when I don't know how this is going to turn out, guess what I do? God, I trust you. I don't have an answer, God, but I know you do. 
I don't know where this is going to go, God, but I know you do. God, I don't know where the finances will come from, but God, I trust you. God, I don't know what will happen in my body, but I trust you. That is biblical faith. When you strip faith all the way down to the least common denominator, it is simply this. I trust God. Nothing else. Does that mean that you and I don't ask? Absolutely not. Ask with boldness. If, you've got, if you want that promotion, ask God for it. Believe God for it. You need healing in your body? Ask God. Believe God for it. But if it doesn't come, can you still go? God, I trust you. I trust you. When things aren't working and lining up like youth are praying for and asking for and believing for, and it's not lining up, can you still say, God, I trust you? You know, I've been, I've been pastoring this church now for 21 years. And can I tell you, I have prayed and asked and, and, and walked by faith, and, and I've done all the leadership stuff. I've done everything, and I have asked God, God, would you grow this church to be 300 people? Would you grow it to be 500 people? God, would you grow it so we could have two services, three services? God, would you grow this church where we could get out of this old building and build a new building out by the interstate? God, and I'm telling you, I have prayed, I have asked, I have believed, I have by faith, I have spoken it, I have, I mean, you can even ask Ron, we have gone out there and we have staked our claim on land and said by faith we believe we're going to build a building on this we i have by faith said god i'm i have done all the leadership stuff i have cast vision i have done it all do you see 300 people sitting here in fact covid we went backwards we lost during covid 55 percent of our church because we went from about 110. I mean, we're doing pretty, this is a good crowd today. But if you've been over here over the past few weeks, really little bitty crowd hasn't it been. Because now we average, we went from averaging 110 to 115 to 45 or 50. So does that mean I'm not exercising enough faith? Does that mean I'm not, if I'm not, I'm, not, I'm just not praying big enough? Or is God saying, Jim, I hear you. But that's not my sovereign plan for Harvest Bible Chapel in Woodhall. So faith says as a pastor, as elders, as a congregation, guess what we do? God, if you blessed us and we grew to 300 people, because how many of you know, when I'm up here by myself during the week and I'm up here praying, guess what I'm praying for? God, would you bring us new people? Would you bring us new families? But God, in your sovereignty, if you choose not to bring another person to this church, I trust you. And that's what it's got to be for you and I. That is biblical faith. To go, God, it's not about what I want, when I want, how I want, when I can't figure it out, when I don't know it. God, I trust you. That's faith. And that is where God or Jesus is with Philip. He's like, Philip, what do you believe? And Philip was showing no faith, which leads to point number two. Here's the second thing. When you're faced with overwhelming odds, know that you only need a little faith to get Jesus' attention. 
You only need a little faith to get Jesus' attention. You know, how many of you ever heard someone say, man, it's about being a great man or woman of faith. You know, like, like you got to have this gargantuan faith to move God. You always hear people go, man, you need to go book to the, the, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and read about the heroes of faith. Man, Moses and Noah and all these people, they had great faith. And you hear about people of like who have, you know, like Charles Spurgeon and, 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 and D.L. Moody and different people. Man, they were men of God. Great faith. I don't know about you, but I get a little intimidated when I'm supposed to hear and be a man of great faith. I get intimidated because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, 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 I waver in my faith. I have my doubts. I have my fears. Any of you have that? You see, I, I, I want to believe that God isn't looking down going, nope, if you don't have a faith that, that is so big, I, I can't respond to you. I love Jesus' response to little faith. And I want to show you this little faith. So look at verse 7. So Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to get enough food? And Philip answered him, 200 denarii. That is actually about eight months worth of wages. He said that much money would not buy enough bread for each of them to have just a little. So Philip, he hears Jesus' question, and he's not even looking at going, he looks at Jesus like, where? Really? You're concerned about where to buy bread? We don't even have enough food or enough money to buy enough food. Why are you talking about where? He's like, man, it's going to take eight months worth of wages for each person just to get a, a morsel. You see, Philip, no faith. Jesus was just wanting Philip to go, I don't have a clue where we would buy bread. I don't know. But I know this, Jesus. I've seen some awesome things from you. I think you could do something. I don't know what, but I think you could. That's what the testing of his faith was that. Jesus, I trust you. And then here comes Andrew, the brother of Peter. Look at verse uh, 8. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they to so many? Here's why I believe Andrew had little faith. He wasn't in the deep end, deep end of the pool of faith. Because um, if he was in the deep end of the pool of faith, he wouldn't have brought up the second part of, well, what is this good to all these people? You see, he was still in the Kidian pool of, the, of faith. Because now, this is why I believe he has the little faith. And, 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 and he's, he's better, a little bit better than Philip. Philip had no faith. Andrew has a little, and here's why. Let's be realistic. Just for, just for a second, be, a real, be, be very realistic here. You find a boy, and maybe the boy was like, hey, I got five loaves and two fish. Me? I would look at the boy and go, dude, look around. Do you really think your five loaves and two fish are going to feed all these people? I don't think so. He goes, about 50 people will be fed and will be done. Go on. Take your lunch and go eat it underneath the tree. He doesn't do that. He goes to Jesus. And I'm wondering if he was like, if he maybe found the boy. And he's like, oh, well, give me that. And he's walking to Jesus. And I wonder if Andrew was like, five loaves, two fish. And he's calculating. He's like, man, 
But I've seen Jesus do some stuff over these past couple years that's blowing me away. I've never seen a crippled man walk before. I've never seen anybody turn water into wine before. So if there's anybody who could take maybe this and do something with it, it's Jesus. And so he gets to Jesus and he's like, hey, I've got five loaves and two, two fish. I don't know what it can do with all these people, but I think you can do something. And here's why he got Jesus' attention and why Andrew's little faith moved Jesus. Because if you look at verse 10, so, so he shows up with the five loaves and the two fish, and he says there in verse 9, but what are they to so many? Look at what Jesus says. Have the people sit down. You notice he doesn't say have the people sit down when he's talking to Philip. Because Philip was like, oh, Jesus, I have no faith. I, I, I have, this isn't working. But Andrew shows up with five loaves, two fish, and he's just, I have no idea what this can do. There's so many people, Lord. I don't know where it's going to happen. I don't know how, but, I, but here it is. And Jesus is like, Tell the people to sit down. Lunch is served. You see, Andrew had little faith. Just enough. Just enough where Jesus could go, let the people now see something. You see, it's almost like, it's almost like Andrew shows up and he's like, Jesus, I've got this little lunch and I've got a little faith. I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know how we're going to feed. And it was like Jesus was not even concerned about that. He's like, tell the people, sit down. Because Andrew, a little is all I need. I don't need a great, I don't, I don't need a semi-truck full of fish and bread right now. I just need this little sack lunch and watch me what I can do with it. And the reason why I'm going to do something was because, Andrew, you got just a little enough faith to say, I trust you. I, I truly do not believe Andrew had a clue how this was going to happen. He's, he, was, he was probably a, realis, a realistic guy going, man, there's a boatload of people here. There's no way five loaves and two fish is going to... But I trust Jesus. I love chapter in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. And Why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. I love that. You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because faith pleases him. You see, like I said, faith is you just going, God, I don't know how. I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know how healing can happen. I don't know what's going to happen. God, I don't know where this situation is going to turn to, but God, I trust you. God, everything else is bottomed out in my life. Have you, let me ask you, have you ever been so overwhelmed with so many things you just feel like, I would rather, I read that scripture at the, at the walk-up. Paul was so overwhelmed with life, he was just like, I would rather die. And then Paul says, but these things didn't happen to me, so I would rely on myself, but so I would trust God. And maybe that's you right now. You feel overwhelmed because you are getting barraged from everything. And maybe you are at that point where you're like, oh God, just beam me up and take me out. But you see, the faith that pleases God is when you look at everything and you don't have a clue you have no idea how it's going to work out. All you can say is, God, I trust you. 
and you let God be God. And you just trust him. Faith pleases God, and that faith is just a simple, not this gargantuan, not this overwhelming, look at how great my faith is. Sometimes it's just this little faith. God, I, I, I'm, I'm scared. How many of you know you can be real with God? Andrew was weird. Here's five loaves, two fish, but what good will this do? He was honest, but Jesus is like, tell him to sit down. It's okay to go to God and say, I'm scared. God, I'm fearful. God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doubting right now. And God, all I've got is enough to say this. I still trust you. And that's all you need to get Jesus' attention. Just a little faith to say, God, I still trust you. Here's the third thing. When facing overwhelming odds, know that you need to continue to be thankful. You need to know that you need to be continued to be thankful. Look at verse 11. It says, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks. Jesus had five loaves of bread and two fish. And he had 15 or so thousand people with a lot of need before him. And yet what does he do before he does anything? Father, thank you. How many of you know sometimes when you're overwhelmed, it's easy to become unthankful? Because it's so easy to look at the problem. It's so easy to see the storm, the trial. It's so easy to be, you know, you're, you're facing the overwhelming odds and it just overwhelms you. And it's so easy to look at life and think everything is so bad, everything is so wrong, everything is going sideways. There's nothing to be thankful for. And that is a bad heart condition. A great biblical illustration of this is from the book of Genesis with Isaac and Rebekah. If you know uh, Genesis, you have the patriarchs of the Jewish lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of, Jew, of, the, of Judaism. Abraham gives birth to Isaac, and Isaac, he becomes the father of Jacob and Esau. Well, Isaac marries Rebekah, and uh, they give birth to Jacob and Esau. And, and as Jacob and Esau, who are twins, they, can, they start to grow up. They become teenagers, young men. Ab or, uh, Isaac is doing what he's supposed to do. He's trying to train his boys to be godly. He's trying to teach them, okay, guys, we're living in a very um, wicked um, part of, of, of land right now. A lot of wicked people around us. A lot of ungodly people. And so, guys, listen to me. Um, when you grow older and you want to get married, don't go marrying um, women who, who don't believe the same as you. Don't, don't marry women who are, are worshiping false idols and gods, and, and it'll, it'll go badly for you. Don't do it. Well, Esau, being the oldest, um, he listened to his dad and went, forget it. I'm going to do my thing. And Esau, there was a, a group of people in the land that Isaac and Rebekah were living in called the Hittites. Very wicked people, okay? Uh, very ungodly people. Well, Esau, he looked at these people and went, well, that's where I want to get my wives from. And he not just only married one, but two Hittite women. And he brought them home. And he was like, oh, by the way, not only have I uh, married these ungodly women, but mom and dad, I want to live with you. And after time, here's what um, it says about 
um, Isaac and Rebekah in regards to Esau and his wives. It says in Genesis 26, 35, that Esau and his wives made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah were pulling their hair out, okay? Because, I, because you have this, their oldest son, who when he, got, when he grew up decided, I don't want to do your faith. I don't want to live for your God. I don't want to obey you. I'm going to do what I want. Let me ask you, parents, you got any adult children who live like that? They look at you and go, you know what? I don't want to believe what you believe. I don't want to live like how you lived. I'm going to live my own life. How many of you know that can be very taxing? Isaac and Rebecca are experiencing that. And it, it made their life bitter. Well, here's the thing. After a time, Rebecca got so focused on the fact that Esau supposedly her godly son married these two ungodly women and she got so sideways that's all she could focus on that's all she saw and it says this Rebecca says this about her life she says I loathe my life because of the Hittite women if Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these what good will my life be to me she doesn't say, I loathe the life of my son. I loathe the life of these women. No, she goes, I loathe my life. She's like, and if Jacob, who, in, you know, in her eyes, the godly, who, the good son, if he marries these women, my life will go completely down the toilet. You think she's got her view really sideways? Because what she, the only thing she can see is what? The problem. All she can see is that her son decided to go sideways. And she looks at her life, and she's like, it's over. I loathe it. What's the point? Instead of going, you know what? Esau's gone, and even if Jacob goes sideways, I'm married to a really great guy. I'm married to a godly guy who's in the lineage of God's people. So you know what? I'm okay. But she doesn't. All she can do is focus on the bad, the problem, the storm, the negative. And in her eyes, life is worthless. It's no different for you and me. Do you ever get that way? Pain comes in, the hurt, the storm, the problem. You're overwhelmed by the odds. And all you can see is the problem. And in your mind, you're thinking, what is there to be thankful for? You know, Friday... Paula and I were at home working. She's at home working. I was at home working on my message. And I'm working on this message. And I get a text from my sister. And uh, this was Friday. And she texted Paula and I and my brother. And she said, will you guys pray for me? She goes, yesterday at 3.15, I lost my job. She goes, the department, that the, the mortgage company she works with, um, they closed it. And there was no, hey, in two weeks, it was... She goes, we didn't even finish out the day. They said, you're done the day. 3.15, lost her job. And so, I, you know, Paul was texting her. I'm texting her. Now I've been telling her about my message and everything. And this is what she wrote back to me. Um, she goes, God used this job to help us pay off things. So we only have monthly bills and mortgage. And the bank is paying us through August 15th. And at least it's me and Steve only. Steve's her husband, and her two boys are raised and, and you know, grown up and gone. But I read that, and I'm like, she's got the proper perspective. She's like, you know what? I just lost my job. That's an overwhelming odd, isn't it? 
You just lose your job that quick? Holy cow, what are we going to do? I don't know. We're, and she's like, you know what? We're okay. They're still paying me. It's just me and Steve. We paid off a lot of bills through this job. We're going to be okay. You see, she had the perspective. And maybe some of you have lost the perspective. And maybe some of you, you, you think, I have nothing to be thankful for. Maybe you're looking at your life going, but Jim, you don't know my health condition. But do you have a good job? Or maybe you don't have the job. Maybe you lost a job. Do you have good health? Well, maybe you don't have good health or, or a job. Do you have a loving wife or a loving husband? Do you have a good home? Well, Jim, my kids, have, they've, they've grown up and walked away from Jesus. Well, where's your spouse at? Are they still living for Jesus? Be thankful for that. You see, the reality is, no matter what is happening in our lives, we have got to be like almost intentional to find something to go, God, thank you. It may not be much, God, but thank you. When you're faced with overwhelming odds, you got to figure out how to be thankful. Number four, I'm going to go through the, these last three really fast. Number four is this, know that Jesus can work a miracle in overwhelming situations. It says in verse 11, after he gave thanks, he distributed them and those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Jesus fed about 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish, enough that there was other stuff left over. That's a miracle, a big miracle. And I'm wondering, I sat and wondered, I'm like, if you were to ask each disciple, hey, do you think Jesus can feed everybody with those, that little lunch right there? I'm wondering how many of the disciples would have paused and went, I don't know. Let me ask you, do you ever, if, if, you have need, are you, if you're in need of a miracle, and if someone were to ask you, do you believe Jesus can work a miracle on this, would you pause and go, I don't know. You see, the reason why we pause and stop believing, because miracles don't happen all the time. And sometimes we think we should have them all the time, and they don't. And when they don't happen all the time, I think we lose faith in thinking they can happen. But you see, faith does this. Faith goes, you know what? I don't know if it's coming or not, but I'm going to believe God for a one. I'm going to pray for this. God, I, don't, I got to pray for my marriage, God. It is falling apart. I'm going to believe that you can bring it back. God, I'm going to pray that, yes, I've got this cancer. I'm going to believe that you can heal it. God, we've lost our job, and I don't know where the money's coming from, but God, I'm going to believe for a miracle that you're going to provide. And you keep believing for the miracle, but let God be God. The idea is that you can believe that Jesus still works miracles. Here's the fifth thing. Know that Jesus works differently in every situation. In verse 13, it says they gathered they gathered them up, the fragments that was left over, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves. He started with five, fish and five, five loaves and two fish for 15,000 people. When it was all said and done, 12 baskets were filled with fragments of bread left over. That is an overwhelming, abundant blessing. God, Jesus did something miraculous, and people were blessed. Now, here's the thing. Those 15,000 people, not one person went hungry. Everybody, every single person in that crowd was fed to their fill. Man, they were full when they were walking out. They were like, oh, man, I got to unbutton that love. Whoo, I'm done. Whoo, I can't. I can't walk. I got to walk this thing off. They were full. 
But here's the danger of this, of this uh, miracle. And, and I'm telling you, I read a lot of commentaries and a lot of people say this. That because Jesus worked this miracle in this situation, that the abundance that he gave is the abundance that every Christian should have also. No matter what. In fact, one commentary that I read said it this way. Jesus always supplies an overabundance for our needs. Let me say that again. That Jesus always supplies an overabundance for our needs. Think that's true? Because have you had needs? And you're like, man, we're, finances are tight right now. Sometimes it's not overwhelmingly abundant, is it? You see, we need to understand that what Jesus did in this miracle is different from the previous miracle. He had a large crowd here, and he blessed everybody abundantly. But if you go back to chapter 5, there was a large crowd of disabled people at a pool. Whole kinds of people. Do you remember how many people got healed? One. Why did he not do the same? Because Jesus does things differently in different situations. He will act and do differently in one situation in your life than he will another. There are times where he will bless your socks off. And you'll be like, holy cow, God just opened the windows of heaven and just look at this. But then you have a healing and it doesn't come. One person, you can look at one person and go, holy cow, it just seems like God's always doing great things in their life and not mine because he works differently from one person to another. Couldn't have the people at the, well, at, the, at the pool been like, well, where was Jesus when he was at the pool? How come he didn't heal me then? But he blesses all these people. That's so unfair. You see, this is why it's so important to go back to the tension between faith and sovereignty. Believe God. Believe that God will overwhelmingly, abundantly bless you, but also leave room for his sovereignty, where if he chooses to bless you one way in one situation and bless you a different way in another situation. And the question is, is can you do that? And then lastly, when faced with overwhelming odds, know that everything Jesus does is to change our perspective. Because in verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. And that's what Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, that there was a prophet that was going to come and do amazing things. And these people's perspective of Jesus changed when he did this miracle. The reality is every time God does something in your life, your perspective will change. And the idea is, is that every time you're faced with an overwhelming odd, that you can look back and go, God, you did this in this situation. I can trust you in this one. It's what Psalm chapter 121 says. He says, I lift my eyes onto the hills, to the mountains, to the problems before me. But I know my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Perspective. When you're overwhelmed, with the, the major issues, with the overwhelmed with the odds, your perspective needs to change and go, God, you are great. And God, I trust you. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's get ready to close.
Let me close this in a word of prayer. Well, Jesus, we come to you because we trust you. and we, Lord, and I know that there are people here today facing some overwhelming odds. And maybe it's finances, a job, health, a myriad of things. And Lord, maybe there are some people who are just overwhelmed to the place where their faith is very faltering right now. And I pray, God, that help them see that only needs to be a little faith. But help them to come to that place where they can say, Jesus, I trust you. Help them to come to that place where they're like, I don't know how, where, when, but I trust you. Jesus, it's about saying we trust you. So we just thank you. We just praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.